Okay. It's just that. <laughs> Sorry. I um I switched out my uh, headphones. Okay. All right. Uh, what was it? Oh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joseph Tarowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week, we are talking about Doctor Strange from the comic book Doctor Strange, The Oath. How's life treating you, Todd? Uh, pretty good. School's getting ready to start, which means I'm frantically trying to get my syllabuses together. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had students on campus today. It's such an exciting time. I love it. So, uh... We had a, someone was over at our house, and they had like a, a three-year-old girl, and I have a four-year-old son, and he's usually pretty shy. But for whatever reason, he just started talking to this girl, <laughs> straight up, and like asking her, like, "Do you want to play with toys?" And then I heard like a moment after he had met her, just out of the blue, he goes, "Have you heard about Star Wars? It's a pretty great story." <laughs> Which I just thought, yes, that is how you talk to a lady. I was gonna say, I don't think he gets that from you, but now I think that he probably does get it from you. <laughs> I just enjoyed that line of hearing that, one of the first words out of my son's mouth when he first met a girl. <laughs> that's pretty great. It's a pretty great story. Awesome. Well, but today we're, we're talking, talking about. We're talking about Doctor Strange. Yes, we're talking about Doctor Strange, which I guess it's all in the same wheelhouse now because they're all owned by Disney because Doctor Strange is a Marvel comic book. And the uh, miniseries that we're talking about is from a 2000... uh, It was published in 2006 and 2007, and it was written by Brian K. Vaughn and drawn by Marcos Martin, and it was colored by Willie Schubert. I'm assuming Schubert, not Schubert, but I don't know for sure. Um... And normally when we've done comics, I haven't mentioned the colors, but I think the color is so important in this one that I went ahead and threw his name in there. Yeah, I think he does a good job. Yeah. So, Todd, how did you first come to Doctor Strange, The Oath? <laughs> um, well, I I was remembering as I was started reading this that the first time that I even was conscious that there was a character called Doctor Strange was uh, when I was reading Civil War for the first time. And there's this big meeting of all of the superheroes, and I was trying to figure out who they were. I was doing a lot of Wikipedia work <laughs> to try to figure out who all these superheroes were, and there was one, and I could not figure it out. And I think I called you and said, you have got to help me out here, because I do not know who this guy is with the big cape and the pointy thing. And you go, that sounds like Doctor Strange. And then I looked him up, and I said, yep, that's him. Uh, so I just read that's the That's great, Todd, because I, uh, I didn't remember that story, but I was going to offer once you were done saying it. I can be your superhero Wikipedia, but it turns out I was. <laughs> you are, you are my superhero Wikipedia. Um, yeah, and uh, Doctor Strange. I'd never read any any Doctor Strange books until I until I picked this one up a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, and I put this one on the schedule because there's the Doctor Strange film coming up, and I've had enough people ask me. So, who is this Doctor Strange guy? That I thought in the podcast, let's just go ahead <laughs> and tackle Doctor Strange and introduce him. Uh, to any listeners who are unfamiliar but are maybe a little bit curious about the upcoming film starring Benedict Cumberbatch coming from Marvel Film Studios and from Disney. Um, that one comes out a couple weeks after this episode is going to post. But this uh, miniseries, The Oath, is one of the most famous Doctor Strange stories. Doctor Strange kind of has an odd history in Marvel Comics where he is one of the first wave of superheroes that was created in the 60s when the Marvel superhero universe was trying to be built up in comics. Uh, and he has had 
fairly regularly his own title, but then sales will tail off and it'll be canceled and he'll just kind of do guest appearances here and there throughout or, or be a member of a, a, you know, a team here or there. And then they'll try and launch his series again. And this was um, a mini series that was done again to kind of revive the character a bit. And it is uh, fairly, it was, it was very well received when it was done. It still holds up, I think as one of the better Dr. Strange stories that's been published. I thought it was, um, I, I don't know why, but for some reason I've always kind of shied away from Dr. Strange. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't really know why, except that he he's always seemed very strange. <laughs> very strange to me. It, it's uh, not a hard of... thing to do. There's not a lot <laughs> yeah, of good Doctor you, Strange to grasp you don't onto. Have to, yeah, you don't have to hide from him. He's he's not in your face all over. Um, well, I know, like, uh, there's a there's a podcaster called um, Moises Chuyan, and he, is, he talks a lot about um, comics and pop culture. And he's a huge Doctor Strange fan, and... I just, I don't know. I never really saw the appeal. I think that the trailer for the film looks amazing, but, but I never, I just never have gotten into him. He, he had that one, uh, appearance in, uh, Marvel 1602. Yeah. When, you know, his head gets pickled in a jar and stuff. It's, it's <laughs> all so weird, <laughs> but, uh, but this story is pretty cool. All right. Uh, well, just a reminder that, uh, today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com and you can get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist. And there are over 180,000 titles await you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. And a quick spoiler free synopsis of this particular Dr. Strange story. Like if you're just going to do the elevator pitch, uh, version of the story, it's Dr. Strange is in a race against time to reclaim a stolen potion that may save the life of his friend. That's the basic premise of this one. A little bit of trivia about the character before we get into Todd's specific breakdown of this storyline. Doctor Strange was a concept that was created by Steve Ditko, and he drew the character's first appearance, which was um, that, that first comic book was scripted by Stan Lee, and that was published in 1963. So Steve Ditko and Stan Lee created Doctor Strange. The origin is that he is a really arrogant medical doctor. He's a surgeon, like the, the best in the world, and he's in a car accident, and he can't, like, there's nerve damage in his hands, so he's lost a lot of fine motor control in his hands. And he does all that he can through Western medicine to try and fix this problem. And um, he gets so obsessed with repairing himself that he's willing to seek out any help that he can. And he ends up in, I mean, at the time, it's kind of stereotypical Far East. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of stereotypical Far East imagery in Doctor Strange. I'm going to be interested to see how they balance that in the film. Uh, but he ends up in the Far East and learns under the tutelage of someone who's called the Ancient One, who, who teaches him the mystic arts. Um, and so he shifts from being a medical doctor into being the greatest sorcerer on Earth and becomes what's called the Sorcerer Supreme or the Prime Magical Protector of Earth. So... In the Marvel Universe, you end up with heroes who deal with street-level crime in New York City, heroes who focus on intergalactic, uh, you know, alien threats, and Doctor Strange is one who focuses on mystical threats, from typically from other dimensions. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. Doctor Strange, <laughs> he deals with some weird stuff. Interesting stuff, but weird stuff. Yeah, like I said, it's it's kind of a... A free-for-all for the writers and artists. <laughs> let's go into Dimension where Anything you've ever wanted to draw or anything you can imagine, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, now, uh, Steve Ditko and Stanley are most famous for creating a different character who's had a somewhat larger impact on popular 
popular culture. They are the co-creators of Spider-Man. But in this instance, it's uh, been pretty well established that Steve Ditko kind of pitched the idea of Doctor Strange to Stanley and uh, came up with a lot of the concept, and Stanley just scripted that first appearance. So uh, sometimes you'll see Steve Ditko's credited solely as creator, sometimes as a co-creator. Um, Steve Ditko, it's kind of interesting because Doctor Strange, this was coming out in the 1960s, and if you've seen the trailer for the film, you know there's some weird imagery <laughs> that can be associated with Doctor Strange. And in the comics, it was considered very um, psychedelic. <laughs> And perhaps uh, the sort of thing, someone who was having a a, a vision that was being enhanced <laughs> with, with certain chemicals might experience. And so people assumed because it was the 60s and because Marvel comics were um, very popular in kind of a, a, a more underground scene at that period, as well as being very popular with adolescents, uh, that there was some drug use being involved in the creation of these visuals for Doctor Strange, but it turns out Steve Ditko it was very straight-edged in his life, and very much against drug use in any form, and because of that, we it's just an odd dichotomy with some of the associations that exist with Doctor Strange. So yeah, uh, the 1960s Doctor Strange stuff is often described as being very trippy, and yes. it does look very um, surreal in, in a lot of uh, the panels, and just the the adventures that he goes on into these other dimensions. Doctor Strange, as a magic-based character, ends up in a lot of other dimensions where artists can really flex their creative muscles as to what they want to display. Did Steranko <laughs> ever do a run? I don't think... Uh, Jim is a famous artist. Um, that had, For surrealism. But he, but he had a very free, brief time doing oh, comics. Okay. I don't think he ever did um, um, Doctor Strange, but that would have been a really good fit. There's a current run that's happening right now with an artist named Chris uh, Bachelot on it, and... I, I haven't read any of this run, but Chris Bocciolo's art that I know from X-Men comics, it feels more surreal than the classic superhero stuff, and it seems like a really good match for Doctor Strange. Uh, the writer of this particular miniseries is Brian K. Vaughn, who is very well respected <laughs> in comic books. Um, we've mentioned yes. that he, uh, in comic books, there's uh, an awards that are called the Eisner Awards that are kind of their version of the Oscars or the Emmys. He's won 11 of them. And Marcus Martin, who's the artist for this one, has won two. Eisner's, is that like, uh, um, I mean, can we put that in perspective? Would we say, could we say Brian K. Vaughn is maybe one of the most awarded, w- awarded, uh, creators? Yeah. I, I don't have the numbers working me, today, but I will say like when Brian K. Vaughn says he's putting out a comic book, the entire industry takes notice. Yeah. Like that's the levels that, that, that he's at. Like all the people who do blogs and commentaries and all, even other writers, they're like excited for Brian K. Vaughn to be doing something. And there's not like, a, like there's not a ton he's not constantly doing four titles a month no in fact he he kind of got established in the comics world and did several series that all won lots of awards and then he got snatched up to write for lost and he was kind of floating through various tv productions for a little while he seems to have come back and he always seems to have at least one thing coming out now but it's what, not what tv work did he do he was on lost and oh where did he go after lost i can't remember but he wrote some of the best episodes of lost huh but yeah he's He's not a constant, you know, six series a month. He's not a guy. Brian Brian Michael Bendis. No, no, or or a Jason Aaron or a or a Soul. Mm-hmm. Okay, those um, are all writers, listeners who put out a lot of material, and some of them work full time as lawyers at the same time. <laughs> all right, just uh, real quick, his uh, he wrote for Lost, and then uh, Under the Dome is the other TV show that he was involved in. All right, listeners, before we get to Todd's full synopsis, don't forget to help us out just a little bit by doing your Amazon purchases through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. Reminder, it looks just like every other Amazon 
page that you've ever seen, but it gives us just a little bit of a kickback from Amazon because you've done it through our link. And we appreciate all our listeners who do that to purchase any of your needs from books to DVDs to, you know, all it, it, what's not on Amazon at this point, I guess. <laughs> so anything you buy up through Amazon, please use that link. Again, that's protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. So Todd, why don't you give us a full synopsis of Dr. Strange, The Oath? Is this series, uh, is this like the first story in a longer story or is, was this just it, like it? A it was one-off? just a self-contained one-off. Well, Cause I wanted to keep reading it. <laughs> well, that's a good, that's a good review. Um, Dr. Strange, I think around this time, is that when he joined the Avengers, Andrew? That's producer Andrew for that. I, it's 2006, 2007, right around Civil War. I think this is when, I, uh, they, he joined the Avengers and I think they periodically did other miniseries with him. Yeah. I mean, this was in his not ongoing, like, I don't think they even d- attempted an ongoing for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right. Right after the oath came out. Yeah. Uh, until this most recent one. It just sets itself up, sets itself up so well for more <laughs> story. Mix of characters. Yes, yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Here we go. Uh, so this story opens up with these a couple of B-list superheroes, Iron Fist and Aranya, and they're in the waiting room of some kind of uh, hospital or clinic. And then the night nurse, who is the medical professional for supers. Uh, she comes rushing in to care for Dr. Strange, who has been shot. Uh, now we cut to a conversation between a couple of B-list, uh, or, or a B-list uh, bad guy called Brigand and his mysterious boss, and they're discussing how Brigand was able to shoot uh, the super-powerful Strange with the same gun uh, that Hitler used to commit suicide. And, uh, and then Brigand turns over to his boss this elixir that he stole from Dr. Strange um, in the I night just versus... want to say, I like this moment because um, a complaint about magical-based characters is you can kind of do whatever you want. And Brigham kind of says this up front, <laughs> where he says, yes. like, I don't know how to get through all the weird stuff he can do, but I just figured this gun has enough bad mojo in it <laughs> that it's going to cut through any magical <laughs> yes. shields that exist. And it did. <laughs> and it did, yep. Uh, so in the night nurse's emergency room, um, Strange is battling for his life. He talks to the night nurse in a disembodied astral plane form. So this is like his spirit is outside of his body and he's talking to the, to the night nurse. Um, and he talks about how, when he was a younger man, he'd been a successful surgeon, but a terrible person. And then he was in this, uh, horrible car accident that left him in really bad shape. Uh, strange and the, and the night nurse continue their banter. Uh, he tells her about his assistant Wong, who a few months before had been diagnosed with advanced brain cancer. Um, uh, but Sp- but Strange went through a portal and found the cure, which is this elixir that Brigand has stolen from him. Uh, the elixir is a cure for cancer, uh, but Brigand uh, now has stolen it, and uh, and he stole it before Doctor Strange was able to administer the elixir to Wong. So even though he's still weak, uh, Strange checks himself out of the night nurse's hospital. She insists on accompanying him to recover the lost elixir. He agrees to let her come. So they begin by tracking the killer to the home of um, of Strange's friend, uh, Jonah Hilt, who was one of the doctors who knew Strange before his accident. Um, Strange, at that time, was selfish and unkind, and during his accident, his hands were damaged, and he lost the ability to do surgery. He treated Hilt horribly, but Jonah uh, was always true to him. And for this reason, uh, Stephen Strange trusts uh, Hilt with a sample of the elixir. Uh, 
So when they reach Hilt's lab, they find that it's been destroyed, uh, the sample is stolen, and Jonah has been murdered. And Strange is shocked because he himself had set up defense spells on the lab. And now he realizes that they must be dealing with his arch-nemesis, Mordo, who learned magic from, uh, from Strange's own teacher, who is the Ancient One. Stephen, uh, Dr. Strange uses magic to track the killer to Harlem. The tracks lead uh, Strange, Wong, and the Night Nurse to some kind of building where they encounter old uh, Stark security tech. <laughs> the, the, if it feels disjointed when I'm reading it. It's because it's just kind of disjointed. <laughs> the story itself is a little bit disjointed. Like This is one but, of those where they play a lot with... Um the order like it's not following a, a strict linear progression right. like there's lots of flashbacks which is always hard for us to summarize when when writers do that yes <laughs> but also you go from from like magic stuff to like the astral plane and then you're dealing with you know robots and then <laughs> it's just it's kind it really is as you said it, it kind of is all over the place so they come across this old um these robots like security tech and this surprises them because Mordo is a magician and he doesn't usually uh, normally use robots. Uh, Brigand is there and he captures night nurse, uh, but she breaks his nose and strange captures him. And then he goes into Brigand's mind to find out who has orchestrated all of this. So he does kind of like a mind meld kind of Spock thing. Uh, it turns out that the evil mastermind is Dr. Nicodemus West, who had tried to save Strange's hands after the accident. He is working for the board of directors of a company called Timely that makes cancer drugs. They want to destroy the elixir because it would mean the end of their business. Real quick, <laughs> there's a moment I love where uh, Dr. Strange is in Brigham's mind and he's gone through all these uh, kind of defenses that had been set up and he fights his way through them. And then finally he sees the face of the person who's orchestrating it all. And Dr. Strange just says, who is that? <laughs> because like, we're used to comics always being like my old best friend yes. <laughs> and all these other things but this is someone who Doctor Strange as far as he knows has never met in his life yeah he doesn't, rem- he doesn't remember him at all so this, there's this pharmaceutical company called Timely and they make uh, cancer drugs and they want they, they want to destroy the elixir because they don't want there to be a cure for cancer they want to sell their cancer drugs uh, once Strange finishes his interrogation, he locks Brigand into his own mind for eternity. <laughs> um, and then they go back to Night Nurse's clinic to rest because both he and Wong are really struggling by this point. Um, and when they make it back, the hospice has been firebombed by a crazy giant demon. It's kind of a Cthulhu if you're familiar with Cthulhu mythology at all. <laughs> it looks like something out of a Hellboy is what I was thinking. but Yes, yes. This would be very at home in a Guillermo del Toro film. Yes. So, <laughs> so, um, so, we've, so, so now we've got pharmaceutical companies. We've got Hitler's uh, crazy haunted gun. We've got uh, old Stark tech. <laughs> and now we have a crazy giant demon. And this is all within um, not very many pages. Uh, so Strange defeats the demon, and they track it back to Nicodemus's lair. Yeah, that was three issues so far. Yeah. Um, he So Nicodemus West captures uh, Strange and his friends with magic. And in a monologue, he tells of how he had followed Strange all those years ago to Tibet and learned magic from the Ancient One, but he had dropped out before his education was complete. Uh, he failed in his attempts to use magic to cure illness. Then he was hired by Timely, and he promised never to use magic again. And during this monologue, 
like pretty long monologue, Strange escapes from West's magic. Uh, and West tells him that the elixir is, is not just a cure for cancer, but it's the legendary panacea, capable of curing all illness. If Strange were to magically reproduce it, the world would be overcome by overpopulation. So that's so he's really a good guy. He's trying to save the world from <laughs> <laughs> from like, like there are some logistical issues with curing all illness in one day. Yes. Uh, so just then, Night Nurse cries out that Wong is dead, and uh, Strange captures West, but West escapes again, and then Strange tracks him down, and they fight again. And uh, Nicodemus casts a spell that makes them both incapable of using magic for a time, and they have this fist fight. Uh, and Strange wins because Wong has trained him in martial arts. So Nicodemus ends up falling off a building, and he can't save himself because he can't use magic. But the elixir falls with him, and it smashes. And Strange rushes down and tries to recover the liquid, but he can only save one drop. So now he has to decide if he'll use the drop to save Wong or to sacrifice Wong in order to magically reproduce the elixir and prevent illness throughout the world, uh, a process that would take hours and not leave time to save the dying Wong. So uh, Strange decides to honor the Hippocratic Oath and save Wong, because he's his patient. Uh, and then in the epilogue, we have the three heroes. They're back in the Sanctum Sanctorum, which is uh, Dr. Strange's magic man cave. <laughs> um, not... <laughs> I've never described as that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but it kind of works, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Night Nurse tells uh, Doctor Strange that she managed to grab a document from West's office that will incriminate the board of the Timely Company. Strange offers to let her use the Sanctum Sanctorum as her clinic. She accepts. They kiss. The end. Good summary, Todd. Thank you. <laughs> not the easiest one to summarize, like we said. No, it's not really a long story, and it's not... I don't think it's a particularly complicated story. They, it just... They're, it, I mean, he's called Doctor Strange for a reason. He deals with lots of strange stuff. And uh, so, if you're... You know, if you like that, then you'll love Doctor Strange. And if you don't, then uh, then I think it could be, it can be a really frustrating experience. I find myself somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so so in that binary you just established you're neither yes <laughs> um, um yeah I, exactly I, I love good dr strange but i've also read some bad dr strange and those ones when the artists are just seem to be more indulgent in drawing weirdness than telling uh -huh. a coherent story it can be kind of frustrating I, I really did like this and i i would be happy to read more of this story i think um i think night nurse is a really interesting character and I'd never read anything with her. The only, I didn't even know she existed as a character, except that I watched a few of the first episodes of the Netflix Daredevil. Uh, Netflix Daredevil, and she shows up, and then and then people on the internet were saying, "Yeah, it's Night Nurse," and I was like, "Who is that?" But yeah, like, so what a great idea, right? Because because uh, the superheroes, <laughs> I mean, you could really make a lot of money if you. Uh, <laughs> If you're patching up superheroes, if you're patching up superheroes, yeah, especially so these, in. especially these like B-listers, right? Who don't have healing factor, and you know they get beat up a lot. And she's there to kind of help them out. And it turns out that she's pretty cool. Um, and and I I I just I wanted to see more of that relationship, and I'm sad that I don't get any more of it. 
All right, so just real quick about Night Nurse. The character had kind of not been used um, for about 30 years, I guess. Uh, there was a, a, a series in the 70s called Night Nurse, but I don't think it really dealt with nurses who were patching up superheroes. I think it was more of a melodrama about <laughs> um, nurses who worked a night shift. And it didn't last very long. And then in 2004, um, Brian Michael Bendis, another writer that's been mentioned already, kind of brought in one of those old night nurse characters from that series as a character who was going to help heal superheroes or patch up superheroes who are injured fights. But uh, she didn't really get used again until this miniseries. And since then, I think I'd say she's, she pops up a little more regularly, not like she has her own series or that she's a regular cast member in any thing, but it seems like a lot more writers kind of have latched onto that idea that this is where we're going to send our heroes when they need to be patched up. I just, I love it. It's, it's similar to um, she Hulk, who is the lawyer. Yes. For superheroes. And and specializes in superhero law. Yeah, it's just such an awesome idea. And I'm so glad that, first of all, that somebody had that thought. Like, hey, who takes care of these guys? Because they can't go to the regular hospital. And and some of them are fine. You know, like many superheroes, some superheroes, they, they don't really ever get hurt. You know, like Wolverine, he never has to go to that doctor. Because he always just heals himself. But guys like Iron Fist or this Aranya, who's, you know, they they really need some, uh, they need some help. They need some I medical lo- attention. I love the conversation between Aranya and Iron Fist. <laughs> where, <laughs> so they're sitting in a waiting room and like they've drawn in uh, like doctor's office music going across the top uh-huh. of the image. Um, and Aranya just says like, what happened to you? And Iron Fist says, pull the hammy fighting a bunch of ninjas. What about you? And she says, I got hit with a mace and not like the spray that nervous old women <laughs> Carry. I'm yes. talking about the friggin' medieval <laughs> weapon. And Iron Fist just, very, he's reading a magazine and he doesn't even look up. He says, who was it? Human Cannonball? <laughs> She's like, no, some doofy supervillain wearing his tidy whities on the outside. Kind of had an <laughs> I hate the government thing going on. And Iron Fist goes, uh, Flag Smasher. So, yeah, flag just, smasher. just diving through the B-list of Marvel <laughs> common characters. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty I, great. I think Brian K. Vaughn has a thing for Flag Smasher because he appears in other Brian K. Vaughn series as well. <laughs> Just wants to, to bring that, that character back in. Uh, okay. But yeah, I, and I like what you said about um, Night Nurse because I'd say this is really the first miniseries that starts to give her um, you know, a personality or characterization. Because I said, like I said, she really only appeared, I think, one time in the recent Marvel comics history before this. And she's kind of fun. And I, I know... Um, she also appeared in a, in a Nightcrawler miniseries, and she ended up kind of dating Nightcrawler. She seems, it seems to me a lot of writers want her to date whatever character they're <laughs> they're writing at the moment. Well, I mean, it's... I, I, I don't know what it is about her, but, I mean, she's she's super capable. And, you know, she's not, she's not holding up Doctor Strange at all on this uh, little adventure that they have. And she's participating in meaningful ways she has some you know martial arts skills and she's well and it even um it undercuts when you read this issue by issue instead of all in one giant trade um i think it's the issue three cliffhanger is brigand holding a gun to her head Uh and then issue four starts with her breaking his nose yeah (laughs) and taking care of the problem herself so you kind of expect the damsel in distress oh dr strange is going to save the day i also thought it's undercut right i mean i'll just throw this out here but for a character called Night Nurse, you could you could really <laughs> you could really sexualize that character in ways that they just didn't 
in this at all. Yeah, completely avoided it. Yeah. Like she's she I would <laughs> I think maybe one of the least sexualized comic book uh women that I've read in a long time. Like she just she does her job. She dresses like a nurse, like a real nurse, not like a not like a sexy nurse. And I just I was I was really pleased that they they didn't really take it there. They just let her do her job and and be a really cool character. Now, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, peek behind the curtains, listeners, we were supposed to record this episode a couple weeks ago, and I did not reread really the comic right before recording right now. Um, Doctor Strange never learns her real name, does he? No. Or do, yeah. And he doesn't refer to her as Night Nurse. He ends up calling her Watson because she made some joke about solving the mystery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, she gets called Watson throughout most of the miniseries. Yeah. And in some ways for... For a writer, I think it's very useful if you're writing Doctor Strange to have the Watson kind of character so that he has to explain all the magic. Uh-huh. Like, you need the, those eyes in who don't know all the insane, you know, magic laws that have been established in Marvel Comics and, you know, through the continuity of Doctor Strange stories that he gets to explain what he can and can't do and what, um, you know, the foes that he's facing are. And having a character like Night Nurse right there next to him allows that exposition to occur much more naturally than yeah. you sometimes find. Even more so than Wong, because because they could have just had it be Wong, right? I mean, he could be the Watson. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I like the way that the story is structured. I like the balance between the characters. I think that Night Nurse and her sort of practicality is a nice counterbalance to the the banana stuff that happens with <laughs> with Strange. So, what is yeah, it about Doctor Strange? I mean, like obviously somebody at Marvel right now thinks that he's an, he's a cool enough character an interesting enough character that they're going to put Benedict Cumberbatch behind the, the Cape. And, and I imagine that this movie is going to make a load of money, but, <laughs> but what is it about him that, that, that would make somebody think that I just, <laughs> I think a lot of so people, think, when they announced Doctor Strange, were like, wait, what? <laughs> this is the one they're doing? Yeah. Um, though then immediately people said, well, now that special effects are where they are, they could do the visuals, so it could be pretty cool to see uh-huh. on screen. Um, I think it is one of those classic early Marvel origin stories that you have, where you have the flawed character whose, um, whose weakness becomes their strength in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um, so his, his arrogance... Um, is what makes him a horrible human being, but it's also what drives him to go to the ends of the earth and actually become the Earth Sor- Sorcerer Supreme because he says, I will fix this problem that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a really, I mean, the best superhero origin stories you could do in two or three sentences. You know, Peter Parker's a nerdy kid in high school who feels picked on, who gets bit by a radioactive spider and tries to go big time with it and then learns a lesson that with great power comes great responsibility mm. and he chooses to be a hero instead. And Dr. Strange is an arrogant doctor who uh, gets injured and in a quest to try and regain full use of his hands, he uh, becomes a master of the mystic arts as it says, and becomes Earth's primary magical de- defender. <laughs> um, and I like the uh, the most recent version of the Dr. Strange. I haven't read the issues, but um, I heard some people talk about it and they said, um, Doctor Strange still kind of comes off as aloof and arrogant in a lot of the team settings. Like he, he didn't, he didn't really get humbled <laughs> through huh. all this experience. Uh, but in the most recent series, they kind of add the layer that 
one reason why he's aloof is that he is just constantly protecting Earth from these magical threats that the regular heroes don't see. So when they come to him for help and he's kind of arrogant towards them, he's literally doing other things at the same time. Yeah. Uh, in the background, um, that, that they just can't see. That he's like weaving spells sort of mm-hmm. subconsciously and that that's drawing he's warding some of off his demons attention. and all these other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess within superhero universes, uh, I kind of hinted towards this earlier. You end up with these kind of quadrants of like, what kind of hero are we going to have? Are we going to have a technology based superhero like Iron Man who's going to fight a lot of technology based villains? Uh-huh. Are we going to have an outer space, uh, superhero like, uh, Nova for Marvel, um, or Green Lantern for DC and they're going to fight a lot of aliens? We're going to have a mythologically based superhero like Thor who will fight a lot of Frost, you know, giants and, and characters like that. Uh, and, and both superhero or, or both Marvel and DC have ended up saying, well, another region of the universe that we're going to have is, is the mystic arts, the magical side of it. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Strange from Marvel was the first one. And he's the most famous one from that side of things. Yeah. And so for the film universe, as they're building it, they've kind of followed a similar pattern, sometimes constrained by what characters they had the rights to when they started <laughs> to do films, which once they hadn't sold right. off when Marvel was facing bankruptcy in the nineties. Um, but they're, they're just opening up another, uh, area, but I get, I do want to point out for the film universe, at least it seems like they are going to be merging some of the magic and technology. I mean, they kind of already did that with Thor where mm-hmm. in some of the films, there's like nods that the Asgardians, it's not all just magic. It's just really, really advanced technology uh-huh. <laughs> that they have for what they're doing blended with some kind of magical things. But in the Ant-Man film, when he shrunk really small and went into, what do they call it? The microverse? Oh, yeah. It looked a lot like 1960s Doctor Strange <laughs> uh, stories. And so I'm wondering if, like, one of these alternate dimensions that we'll see opened up through Doctor Strange has already been actually hinted at in Marvel, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe through Ant-Man. That's interesting. Isn't, doesn't Iron Fist, he's a magical character, isn't he? Yes. And also loaded with East Asian stereotypes because he was created in the... That one's late 60s, right, Andrew? Iron Fist? Probably. Late 60s or early 70s. Um, in the Kung Fu phase. Yes. <laughs> Kung Fu phase of interest. Uh, and has kind of a similar origin stories where he's... Well, it, for him, he's an American playboy uh, whose plane crashes. Like, billionaire kind of head of a corporation. He, uh, he was a kid. His his family's plane oh, crashes. Oh, was he a kid? He yeah. got raised in the magic world. Right, but his family were billionaires. Yeah. Yeah. And he ends up raised in this mystical realm that only appears every... It's kind of like Brigadoon. It's a Brigadoon place. (laughs) Without the the singing and dancing? Yes. Much less singing and dancing. At least in the versions. With more kung fu. More kung fu, less singing and dancing. (laughs) Now, I don't want to say that the upcoming Netflix miniseries based on Iron Fist won't have musical numbers, but I would not expect it. Wow. Now that would be something people would talk about. So, well, okay, a random tangent. It's like, uh, it's like, Andrew, it it's like Daredevil meets Glee. Well, haven't they said that uh, next year the Flash Supergirl crossover is going to be a musical? Yeah, that's supposed to have a musical episode. Wow. And, but oh, we have gone that's far what, afield. That's what the Flash does with their TV show. <laughs> yeah. We have gone very far afield from Doctor Strange. But, but can you really do that? I mean, <laughs> is anything too far? Is anything too far, too far afield for Doctor Strange? So uh, I, one thing that I wanted to talk about is the this final decision that he had to make uh, mm-hmm. about saving Wong or saving all of humanity. Because um, it seems to be kind of central to at least what um, what Vaughn wants 
us to be thinking about. So what do you, yeah. what do you I think mean, of the that? title of the series is the oath, the oath, which with Dr. Strange, he does magic by declaring oaths all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanley really loved to write crazy things for him to say, like by what the are they? Hori, by the Hori, the Hori, Hori. host of, of, of Hagar. Hagar. Um, and like lots Something of alliterations. Like yes, lots of alliterations happening. Um, and that's how he does a lot of ma- magic is by expressing these oaths. And so when you see that there's a miniseries called Doctor Strange, the oath, if you're familiar with the character, you might think, oh, this is going to be something about, you know, magical, some magical spell or, yeah, but it's really about all about the Hippocratic oath. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a, a nice turn once you realize where, what this, you know, the hinge of this whole story is. Um, and so there's like the, the moment where he says, do I save this one person who's in front of me? Uh, you know, which is what as a medical doctor, which he is, he's promised to do. Um, and, and it's kind of, you end up on the inverse of the famous Star Trek two. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, uh, Spock sacrificing himself because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Dr. Strange ends up saying, because of my oath, I need to help the one. I mean, he's my best friend. Um, which is kind of an update from the early versions of Dr. Strange, where Wong was just a nearly mute manservant <laughs> from, from the Far East. Uh, they, they've updated that to being a best friend and actually someone who is superior to Dr. Strange in a lot of skill sets that Dr. Strange needs. But yeah, it's. So I'm, what do you I'm think so about glad, that? Well, I'm so glad that you brought up the, the Spock thing because, because they really are like inverse images of each other right so you have um in star trek 2 you have spock talking about how the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one and here you have uh dr strange who as a medical doctor has 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 made an oath to to save a life when he can yeah and and in his mind that that responsibility outweighs even the potential to save all of humankind except for this patient. And I think it says something really powerful about that Hippocratic Oath. And I think it says something, I wonder if Vaughn is trying to say something about, about doctors and medicine and that there's something as, as, as amazing and, um, you know, mystifying as everything that Doctor Strange does is, uh, the thing that's that that is the most remarkable about Doctor Strange is that he's still a Doctor, like he's still trying to save a life, and, and that, um, the fact that he's still a Doctor really gets front loaded, um, when he's on the operating table and his astral form, yes, <laughs> is out, but he, he's he's doing it as a consulting Doctor, like he's talking with Night Nurse about everything uh-huh. that's happening to his body and like breaking down where the bullet entered and all these other things. And there's a really great page where, um, it's a really unique panel layout because you can't read it left, to right, top to bottom. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, there's a page where you, you have one central panel that's Dr. Strange lying flat on his back on the operating table with night nurse working on him and Dr. Strange's astral projection, like translucently floating above the table. <laughs> And at the top of the page, you've got two panels uh, close up on their eyes. Night Nurse and uh, Doctor Strange's eyes each get one panel. And But then down the sides next to Doctor Strange's body, um, it's like a montage. You've got uh, uh, bloody surgical tools. You've got Doctor Strange's mystical cloak lying at the side. 
You've got a panel that's a close-up on an IV tube, a panel that's a close-up on a heart rate monitor, a panel that's a close-up on uh, the lights that are mm-hmm. above the operating table, and a panel that's a close-up on Dr. Strange's uh, physical face with the, the breathing mask over it. And then at the bottom of the page, there's one long panel of Dr. Strange making a comment to to uh, to Night, Night Nurse. Nurse. Um, but like what I think that page is a really good job of blending, you know, the mystical and just the the actual medical doctor uh-huh. side of Doctor Strange um, in a way that you don't realize is so pivotal to this miniseries until you get to the last issue. Right. I, I, I just, I think if you know anything about Doctor Strange, you don't associate that, that title doctor with his, with his MD, right? Yeah. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> you, I mean, I never did. Once I once I knew that he was a wizard, then I just assumed just, that somehow it, it becomes generic, like like um, a title of mastery, right? Right of some sort. Yeah, like you're a doctor and I'm a doctor. He's a <laughs> we're doctors <laughs> of books. He's a doctor of magic. Um, but I but I really think that the um, that there's something that that Vaughn is holding up the the practice of medicine as as something what am i trying to say it's it's something heroic about it yeah and we see that in night nurse and we see that the doctor strange even with all of his <laughs> his magical titles the one that matters most to him is still doctor stephen strange md like it it I just, I think that's so interesting. And I think, um, what it seems to be saying at the end, when he makes this choice, it's essentially for a doctor, you put out the fire that's burning right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you're, you're unaware of all the other fires that are out there and that you're not going to try and put out those fires. But your job and your duty at that moment is to save the patient that's right in front of you. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, a West Wing episode when there is, um, a child, a foreign, it's the leader of a foreign country, um, and there's only like three doctors that could possibly operate on this child who happens to be in the U.S. at this very moment. And one of them uh, is an expatriate from that country, and his family was tortured by uh, the leader of this country. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Bartlett says to his wife, Abby, and Abby is a medical doctor, and he says, how can I ask this doctor to operate on this child when I know all of this? And Abby says, you don't ask. You put the child in front of him, and he operates on the child. Right. <laughs> Like it is not a choice. Uh, none of that matters to a doctor when they're they're faced with the crisis. That's that's right in front of them. You do whatever is in your power to help the patient. It's interesting what you said earlier about his uh, kind of his aloofness or this kind of level of distraction that he has because he's always constantly weaving these spells to protect the earth from demonic influences and things, and yet you know, put an, an injured person in front of him and the, that oath takes over, you know, it's not the hoary, whatever frosts of v- Vashanti. <laughs> it's just like, Host I'm a doctor. Hagoth, and I believe the, the, the host of Hagoth. Uh, and by the way, it's H O A R Y. If any listeners are wondering why he's talking about the hoary hosts. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, um, you know, put somebody who's injured in front of him and that person becomes the most important thing on the planet, more important than, than, you know, 
potentially concocting the cure of all illness. Uh, and I, I think it's worth exploring briefly the the kind of moral quandary that gets introduced. Um, the, the issue and Doctor Strange's decision do not hinge on this in any way. Um, and, but it's an interesting idea that gets introduced where um, Doctor Strange is kind of told it would be an unethical thing <laughs> to uh, instantly cure all of humanity. Yeah. Be- because you'd be uh, ensuring suffering as resources were depleted and um, you know, just our our ecosystem could not handle suddenly everyone who's ill living <laughs> for, you know, until dying of natural causes. Yeah. It, it feels that argument feels cheaper because it's coming from the bad guy because it's coming from the bad guy. And we know that they work for, he works for a pharmaceutical company, which is like, I don't know. It's such an easy bad guy thing. Yes. Um, it totally reminds me of the fugitive, which we should also put on our list of things to talk about, but, um, oh, I, I it is for next St. Patrick's day. Oh yes, it's... it is. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, it's, so the fact that it's coming from somebody who just wants to sell drugs, um, is, I think it maybe lessens the impact of that argument. Um, but at the same time, but you, I mean, not it, wrong. No, as far not as what really. the ramifications would be. <laughs> And and I think it, I mean, <laughs> it's a pretend story, but but if there were such thing as a panacea, like what exactly does it cover? You know, <laughs> like does it cover? So you said natural causes. So yeah, what what are natural causes when you're you know in your nineties, right? Your body's shutting down. Does the panacea keep your body going? Yeah. I mean, people would still, I guess, people would die of accidents. But, you know, if... if that would be about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Accidents and violence. That's, that's what we'd be limited to for our death tolls. But, but if, you had the, if you had the panacea and you were, I don't know, in the ER and somebody came in with a gunshot wound, could you, could you heal it with panacea? Or does it only cover bacteria and viruses and cancers (laughs) like i don't know i'm not i'm not entirely sure on the 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 science behind panacea uh but yeah i don't know and maybe that's why strange just says i'm just gonna try to save the the guy that i have in front of me because he he can't he can't be bothered with the uh, I mean maybe he's convinced of the ethical thing the ethical ramifications of this anyway and that's but in the back I, I of think his mind. that's a really to me it's a really interesting idea um that can be explored in these kind of far out stories yeah. that involve a character named Doctor Strange the idea that something that on the face of it seems so good can be called unethical and you can see why yeah <laughs> why it would be irresponsible to do the good thing in this instance and to me that's just a really interesting kind of uh idea to explore and it's one like i said that can be explored a lot more easily in these fantastical stories that that comic books from the major publishers seem to excel in telling i just i feel like every time my brain starts to head down a road thinking about the the ethics of of the panacea i just end up thinking like well couldn't the panacea hear that (laughs) you know (laughs) 
uh, cure a lack of food? Like, are you saying the panacea would cure starvation? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> would it? It would not make more living space. <laughs> no. On Earth. No, uh, this is like Havilland Tough kind of stuff, right? This is tough voyaging now. Yeah. Right. Nice callback to an earlier episode of our podcast uh, about the character called Havilland Tough, who uh, there was a planet that had um, reached a, a point in medicine and technology where essentially they they didn't die of these kinds of natural causes, and they were having an overpopulation issue. And he, um, acting kind of as a god, <laughs> chose, in essence, to sterilize a percentage of the population yeah. to ensure that the the growth was going to cease. Was it was it because they never got sick, or was it because they had that religion that um, that made so they them didn't control their breeding? Reprodu- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like there was there was no birth control at all. Uh, but I also think part of it was that well, like their science kept advancing far enough to yes. ensure that they could get food to everyone, mm-hmm. and that like they ate this flavorless protein, but it would keep them alive. Yeah. Um, and every time it was like going to reach a crisis point where something was going to cull a huge percentage of the population, science advanced just far enough to uh-huh. stave off that crisis. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we, I mean, I don't know what we were going to say about it that we didn't say in that episode. If you're interested in that discussion, you can go back and listen to episode number 58. Episode number 58 uh, it was one that we kind of dealt with some of these ethical ones. And I think I, in that one, I had a bigger issue with you or than you Todd with, with uh, Tufts actions like this forced sterilization. <laughs> um, and it seems like I'm more interested in this ethical dilemma than you are <laughs> right now. Where you yes. Like, yeah, things would take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. The thing that's interesting to me about, about the oath and this Dr. Strange story is um, something that, that has come up a, a few different times as we've talked about superheroes. And I think one of the challenges of writing a great superhero story is trying to strike a balance between the like oh the the world will be destroyed no not the world the universe no not the universe all universes right and there's this like one upsmanship that happens with uh stakes and yes, the escalation of i stakes. love i love it when a writer is able to erase the stakes and make it uh, about about an individual and to change the focus of, of the hero's mind from the, the universal to the individual. And that's one thing that this story does really well. I think it, and especially I think that's hard with Dr. Strange who deals with the astral plane and multiple dimensions and all kinds of crazy demons. And he's always protecting the earth from demonic forces and then to have him go, no, this is a story about me trying to save one life, my friend's life. And in yeah, fact, uh, I could potentially do something grand and universal, and I choose not to because I need to save one person's life. Yes, that's exactly the point I was about to make, that um, the stakes actually are like all of humanity. <laughs> right. Like, I have in my hands the cure uh, for a disease that anyone you know, from the common cold, we're going to get rid of the common cold. No one gets annoyed in winter. <laughs> no one gets taken up by summer cold uh, or anything like that to, you know, cancer, to AIDS, to well, whatever the disease is, uh, it's going to be cured. And that gets taken off the table, like you said, and the stakes get lowered to the personal. Um, and 
it's a point that we've mentioned that that ends up for me at least feeling more important uh, than the abstract idea of what you said of you know the earth is going to be destroyed. Yeah, and I think that <laughs> um, you've I think that you've gotten to the heart of why I I I struggle to care about the ethical ramifications of panacea or, or, you know, Haviland, uh, tough, um, sterilizing, st- a, part sterilizing of a part of the population or something, because at some point the stakes are so big that it's so hard for me to wrap my brain around. Um, and it, and it's hard for me to really care about it because, um, because I think, I don't know. I wonder if his humans were more, we're designed more to care about what's local and close to us than, than these, these huge things. I think it's hard for us to even wrap our brains around what panacea really means. Uh, but we all understand what it means to have a friend who's dying. And so on an emotional level, I care far more about Wong than I do about all of the human race which seems weird but i but i don't think that it's not true yeah and i think um like you said it seems weird and that's probably one of the reasons why we see constantly this you know the stakes getting up to every new superhero film uh-huh. and every big crossover event from the the superhero publishers um because it seems like you know the the bigger the potential casualties uh <laughs> you know the uh, the more the story is going to matter. But like you said, for me, it resonates more when you're seeing a, a character that's dealing with a personal, you know, relationship that's um, caring on that level. And I think one thing that the story does, and like you kind of hinted at how hard it was to recap because we start, we start seeing these flashbacks. Some of those flashbacks establish why strange and Wong are such good friends mm-hmm. and like what they actually do for each other beyond him, you know, protecting the entire earth and Wong keeping him alive yeah. <laughs> through feeding him <laughs> to be able to protect the entire earth. Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was, a, I thought it was a great story. Um, and a fine introduction to Dr. Strange. And I'm really excited about the movie. Yes. The visuals of Dr. Strange comics, like I said, when you have a good artist that can flex, uh, that and tell a good story, like a cohesive story around some of that, um, it, it can be really good. And this story, Dr. Strange, the oath has Marcos Martin. I love his art in this, by the way, just one major shout out to him and his ability to have really clean line work that, um, can communicate so much. But even as it's a story, as we've said, that ends up with these personal stakes of Dr. Strange on an operating table. And then Wong, you know, uh, ailing and, and it's going to uh-huh. save him. We do get like inside of Brigham's mind is classic Dr. Strange weirdness. <laughs> Um, the defenses that are built up around there are just insane, weird shapes and these amorphous beings and the all sense of scale and, uh, perspective are being skewed in the art. And it's really, for me, I love looking at that art. Uh, same with the, the creature that's, uh, attacks night nurses, um, oh, yeah. her hospital. <laughs> it's just classic, big, weird creature, yeah. uh, that, that you see a lot more in, uh, a Doctor Strange, uh, or in these mystical kind of comic books than you do in classic superhero comic books, and I think it's fun for the artists to be able to do that, and I enjoy uh, those stories as well. Cool. Anything else to say about this? 
Uh, just one quick note. There was a review that I looked at by Mike Lusich, I believe is how you pronounce his name, and he said, This Doctor Strange is Gandalf, Sherlock Holmes, and Indiana Jones all rolled into one cool New York package. <laughs> and so, uh, which, once he said that, like, oh, I see all of it, where you've got kind of like the quest for the object uh-huh. aspect from Indiana Jones, and they're going, you know, on, in these rooms that have these traps that they kind of have to figure out, uh, you know, before they yeah. advance to the next stage of the adventure. And... It is a mystery. Like, he doesn't know who the bad guy is, and he's he's treating Night Nurses as Watson uh-huh. throughout, and obviously Gandalf with the high magic uh, that happens in this. And I like that description. I think it fits for that. So if that sounds interesting, listeners, you should definitely check out Doctor Strange, The Oath. All right. Uh, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. It really helps us out. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. And we have really great conversations there with our listeners. And we'd love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation. Uh, by clicking on the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down uh, newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. And just a reminder, it looks exactly like regular Amazon and it costs you nothing more, uh, but we get a small kickback from your purchases. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. I was going to ask. There was something else I was going to ask. It was going to be uh, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Brian Kivon. Um, I lost it. Sorry. Brian Leo Mass. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>